Welcome, everyone, to the Kingdom Capitalist Show. This is your host, as always, Ellis Hammond, founder of the Kingdom Capitalist Mastermind. This is the podcast to help you as a kingdom leader really think about how to advance God's kingdom, both in your life and in your business. And today, I'm so, so pumped to get into this topic. We are going to be talking all about making money, spending money, stewarding money, in the kingdom of God and why that really matters and how that's different and significant. Uh, and with us to really dive into a topic like this, I think we got uh, the expert. Uh, he is the CEO of Lionsgate Advisors and so significant to have him here because he's been advising people and their finances and helping them think about generational wealth and legacy wealth and, um, and really advising people around money for decades now and so really really excited to have this brother in the lord with us today to really dive into a topic like this so if you're excited about that make sure you stick around eliminate the distractions and let's get ready to jump into this conversation so without further ado let me introduce our guest today mr jonathan kruger how are you brother ellis thank you so much and just a joy and a pleasure to be on the show today and thank you for the kind introduction yeah, man. Well, hey, I want to uh, let, let's let my audience learn a little bit about you, just kind of personally. Uh, where are you? Um, who are you? And then we'll talk a little bit about Lionsgate before we jump into this awesome topic today. Excellent. So, Ellis, uh, my wife and I have three beautiful children. Uh, the oldest is four. Youngest uh, is just a newborn. So, a four, two and a half year old, and a five week old. Wow. And so, we were talking a little bit earlier uh, before we got the camera going that uh, just being sleep deprivation, you know, uh, <laughs> is part of life, you know, but it, it is wonderful. The, uh, I, we moved to St. Louis. Hey, let me ask you real quick, Jonathan, real quick before you jump in. I need to ask, just because we were just talking offline about I got a puppy, you have a five-week-old. What, you've had both. Which is harder, a five-week-old or an eight-week-old puppy, man? That's the question. Which one do you get less sleep on? <laughs> Great question. I get more sleep with, uh, with a baby in the room versus a puppy. Right. And yeah. I can tell you why. It's because my wife is there, you know, she's taking care of the baby and I can true. sleep through it. A puppy just needs constant attention. It so I, it's I crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And you got a why a puppy bites everything. A baby doesn't do that. So I think I, I'm learning. So this has been a good warm up for us. Anyways, man, sorry to interrupt you, but I'm kind of uh, in that season of life too. But I'm, I'm wondering which one is harder. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. About a month prior to us having our little one, I said, babe, I think the kids need a little puppy. She's like, not now, not now. <laughs> We're not going to have both of them in the house. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we, my wife and I picked up from Colorado Springs and moved out to St. Louis really because we believed that God was directing us to be here, uh, to open up a, a business and wealth management, as a, uh, seeing it as a marketplace ministry, doing business as ministry, and have an opportunity to uh, live out our faith through serving our staff, our clients, and our vendors and really being able to um, plant a flag for what we thought would be a difficult transition uh, that we're excited about making because God is just giving us, making such a clear directive for us to make a transition from a land that I believe flows with milk and honey uh, into a, you know, a, a city next to a river, which I would have preferred it being like an ocean. And so, you know, I thought maybe San Diego or Miami was going to be where God led us. And it was to St. Louis, which is awesome. I'm a fifth generation now by moving back here. We've got a lot of family here in St. Louis and it's a midway between her parents and mine. Uh, my parents are in Colorado and hers are out in Ohio. So uh, we're very thankful to have moved out here a little over five years ago 
and um, I've been active in our church at Harvester Christian and uh, been a part of C12, which is a Christian CEO peer advisory group. Uh, that's really helped me navigate what it means to live as a, a biblical leader, uh, having a biblical worldview uh, for serving others and advancing the gospel and, and how we see business as ministry to care for those that we serve. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan of the c had Mike Cheryl on the podcast episode. I don't even remember now. So go back and check that one out for sure. That was an excellent show. Um, so let me go back a little bit and I, and I do, we always will start with prayer, but let me ask this question before we pray and we get into this topic, because I do think it's such an important and key um, discussion. And I don't even know if we've really dived this deep into this, this conversation on the show, but for you, man, and your story, I've heard you talk a lot about overcoming this poverty mindset and understanding biblical wealth in light of the scriptures. Take us back to the moment or season of life where your understanding of, um, yeah, of, of wealth, of overcoming kind of this idea of poverty mindset that we typically relate the scriptures to. When did that happen for you so that we can really get into this conversation today? A friend of mine named Bill had been using the term, uh, you got to be aligned with the anointing of the Lord. And I thought to myself, uh, and he had been using that term quite often, uh, where's the anointing? And I thought, well, Bill, you got to explain this to me because I believe we're anointed. I believe that we have the blessing of the Lord in our lives. But what are you talking about? What do you mean? He said, well, Jonathan, have you considered the leadership that you follow or those that are mentoring you? Are they walking in the anointing of the Lord where they're engaging God in his covenant promises? And you see that manifested in their life. And I had to give it a real strong thought to really consider it, where do I see people living that out? Well, and there are only a couple of people that I saw that happening too. And I couldn't explain it. I couldn't explain what that anointing was other than saying, God's just really blessed them. And he chose to bless them rather than me hmm. until he really challenged me to um, dive in and to pursue what does unmerited favor mean? What does grace mean? And grace in our mind is means unmerited favor. And so there is a pastor by the name, and he's a pastor out of Singapore. His name is uh, Pastor Joseph Prince. And he wrote a book called Unmerited Favor that talks about looking at in the Old Testament. We believe the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Christ and reveals who Christ is. Prophet, prophetically, and, but also through all the stories, God's always reflecting what his desires are and his love for us. And then the New Testament being Christ revealed. So the challenge that we had was looking at when it came to pairing that understanding of God's grace and his desire for my life, and then understanding the promises of God for how in the New Testament says that all God's promises are yes and amen through Christ Jesus our Lord for those who believe. Well, I've been a believer. I haven't always seen the promises of God fulfilled in my life, and I've wanted to. And so I really had to step back to say, God, where am I questioning your desire for me? And where am I really believing your promises? And so we just started going through back, looking at the promises of God and what was his original desire. And um, Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 through 14 have been a chapter that this really declares what God's desire was for his people when they followed and listened to the commandments and obeyed the Ten Commandments, 
right? It's what Moses gave to him um, after his experience on Mount Sinai with encountering God. When we look at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, having met with Moses and um, Elijah. Elijah, I'm sorry. Okay. I was looking at Deuteronomy 28. Yes, Moses and Elijah. <laughs> so when I think of Moses and Elijah, you know, uh, God, uh, you know, Peter got excited and said, let's build an altar for all three of you. And God said, immediately said, listen to my son, listen to Jesus. And immediately Elijah um, and Moses faded out of the picture and Jesus was left remaining. So when I think about that, God's promises are fulfilled through the finished work of Christ Jesus. I can now read Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14, saying, it's not because of what I've done, but because of who Christ is and what he's desired for me. And when I look at Romans 5, 18 and 19, I think is where it talks about in the, um, which I'm just trying to think of which standard it is. It's the amplified version. It says that through, through sin, it came through into the world through one man. So the, the gift of God, the grace of God, the righteousness of God came into the world through Christ Jesus, the finished work of what he's done on the cross for us since the resurrection. And I'm, I'm, I'm a paraphrasing here. But it said, so that we might reign in life as kings. And no other translation um, says to reign in life. And you think about what God's desire is. When you look at his blessings, it's really John 10, 10, even saying, Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the fullest, live abundantly. And the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So when I took that revelation of understanding God's promises and his desire for me, and knowing that that's not possible to obtain or realize, it's what other people um, strive all their lives for, are these all these blessings and to have peace. Um, I was able to realize that that's only because of Christ, not what I could earn or work towards or deserve. And that the blessings of Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses one through 14 are what God's desires for us Mm. based off of his great love for us. And that's available to us through Christ. Man, it's compelling to be able to walk in in, with Christ in a day-to-day relationship saying, you know, Matthew 613 or 633, I'm sorry, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so as we seek God in, on a daily basis, putting him first, listening to him, you know, um, in Matthew 5, it talks about uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, do you know what meeking comes from, or meek, Ellis, do you know where that term comes from? I do not. It's a battle term. For They used to call it, they would, uh, in preparation for battle, uh, they would meek the horses. They so meeking the horses mean train the horses to listen to the rider's voice. Well, how are we being training our ears to listen to God? So blessed are the meek. I always thought it was someone that's feeble, right? Someone that was just cast shying away. But what God's saying, hey, listen to me. I want you to listen to Jesus. And it always said to I'm on the Mount Transfiguration. So, you know, when thinking through that, that helped me start to identify um, with what God's purposes were for my life and how we live out our life, knowing that his blessings are both for on the earth and in heaven. 
And oftentimes growing up, it was, hey, build up the treasures in heaven. You better be able to sacrifice a lot here on earth because you don't deserve it. And that is so true. I don't deserve it. But because of God's great love for me, he wants to lavish it upon you and I, all of us that believe and that walk according to his will. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have hardships. doesn't mean we won't have bad times. God just desires us to be able to draw close to him and be pressed into the face of God to understand it. Man, there's so much in there. I got so many questions and I would just want this, uh, not that I'm going to quiz you because uh, you are an expert in this, but I just want to understand your journey more and help our audience. Before we do, let me just pray. Cause I know, I know we're getting into some good stuff real quick. God, I'm so grateful for this conversation. I'm so thankful for your word as just as Jonathan reminds us, it, reveals to us the mystery that's been hidden for ages that um that you love us that you want to lavish us with your grace through the the person and work of christ jesus and i pray that that would be so clear today just from our conversation it might lead us um to want to seek after you more through your word through your spirit through prayer and we pray this in christ's name amen so then let me ask you this question then man and and let's talk about this point like you, you, what you said is that the Bible is actually pointing us not towards poverty, but towards abundance. And it's interesting because I think a lot of people think the, the Bible is our guide towards poverty, right? And not towards abundance. But we see Jesus talk so much about money, like a lot. Um, so let me ask you this then. Like, what was Jesus's point in talking about money so much? Because there are a lot of passages where Jesus points people to sell everything they have and come follow me, right? Um and so, you know, and he says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And then, you know, do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy, right? Like, so what was his point then in using all of these references and talking so much about money in your opinion? So it does in John 16, I believe it says, um, and I could be wrong on that scripture, but it says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Mm-hmm. What do you treasure, Ellis? When it comes to money and finances, are you treasuring your relationship with God? Are you treasuring those possessions? And that's really, when you look at the scriptures over and over again, even with the talent, the, the, the parable of the rich young ruler that you brought up in that example, um, Jesus was saying, yeah, you've accomplished all these things, but there's one thing you've missed. Give it all the way to, give it all away. Give it all away. See, you, it's interesting. You can't give, you can't, earn your way out of poverty, but you can give your way out of poverty. It's that whole idea of sowing and reaping. So my father-in-law is a farmer. He's been an engineer, recently retired, but he's always farmed his entire life. He's got over 900 acres, so it qualifies him as a farmer. (laughs) When he plants a seed, he expects a return. I believe that most of us, when we plant a seed, we don't expect a return. And God's saying, give it all away because I have so much more I want to bless you with so that you can continue giving. Hmm. And there's greater joy in giving to be a blessing to others than to always be asking and always drawing and never giving. You know, Jesus came and everywhere he went, he was touching people, healing them and blessing them. And he said, greater the... Uh, greater those things that you will do than I'm doing. But how many believers are you seeing doing that? How many believers are walking around where they're praying for someone and because of the presence of God in their life and just 
what's happening of totally resting in God to do it, that people are walking and being healed or risen from the dead. I'm not seeing it. And it's a call that God has says, pray and fast. Be a, when, when it wasn't ever a question of if you're fast, it says when you fast. Right. And I think that we oftentimes miss out on what God's saying about our own spiritual maturity and development and our walk with him because he desires so much more than what this earth has to offer. And we're just scratching the surface when we're talking about whether or not we gotta, we're, we're going to keep the money for ourselves or we're going to give it away. And you know, it's, it, comes from a, it comes from an attitude of realizing, hey, God's in, this is God's and I want to give it away. It, you know, it's, he started teaching that in the Old Testament when he had the year of Jubilee. And if you read about that, I think is, um, I could be mistaken on where I think it's in Deuteronomy, but talks about the year of Jubilee being, hey, all these years you're saving up, you're building, uh, you're, you're, but then you take a full year to like celebrate and have all this fun. Mm-hmm. But one of the things along the way was how do you save for celebrations, but then also how, you know, the idea of paying off debt and also tithing. And in life, I find that people are tithers or they're not. But Malachi, is it 310, Ellis? Is that, um, gosh, and Malachi, so one, my wife and I, well, we started doing this years ago and it's been such a blessing to us. So let me just pull that up for you real quick. Um, yeah, there it is. So Malachi 3.10. He says, bring all the tithes, the whole tenth of your income to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And prove me now by it, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine drop its fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations shall call you happy and blessed for you shall be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Mm. That's a covenant that we can engage God in. And that he says, test me in these things and say, God, I'm trusting you with this. I'm giving this to this because this is what your word says. And it's yours to begin with. I'm going to trust you to provide. And at first, when you're so far in debt and you don't know how to make ends meet, you're going, God, how am I going to come up with that? Well, start off with your, what little bit that you do have. And then see, watch for those opportunities where God allows that to increase. And I've been in finance, wealth management for now almost two decades. And Ellis, it's amazing. I've walked into families' houses and met with them when I first got started, where they had five kids, the, a mediocre job, wasn't making enough to make ends meet. But you know what? God provided for them weekly and monthly, and they always had food on their table and their bills are paid. And God just provided because they were constant tithers. They continued to press God for the covenant. And it's that X factor in life. But in a personal discipline, when we take this promise of tithing and we're trying to pay down debt, you know, if you've got it, then oftentimes we don't we get overly excited and we try to just pay off everything and we don't take the time to celebrate. And for our lives, for where we started to see biblically was that God saying, Hey, get out of debt, but also put money aside to celebrate. 
and that year of Jubilee really stood out as an example that was um, a first mention early on in the Old Testament. So for my wife and I, we started paying off debt and uh, we started, we started tithing again. And then we started uh, putting a little bit of money to save and we'd do that for fun. We had the, what was long-term savings and that little bit that was short-term savings, but that short-term savings was actually divided up between fun money of this is money you have to go spend before the end of the month or you guys go do something <laughs> special. And um, we just divided up in thirds, one, for, one third for her, one third for me, one third for the house. And it wasn't a lot at first, but it gave us a little bit of freedom to be able to say, okay, we can celebrate. We can do something special for mm -hmm. one another without mm -hmm. going into debt. We can do these celebrations just by building in those habits of belief and then, and putting into some of these practical items about how to pay off debt, how to tithe and how to have celebration really has gotten us to where we are today. I love that. Let's talk about this idea of tithing real quick though. And I don't want to go on a huge change in this, but this idea of 10%, a lot of people ask me like, is that, I mean, is that again, like we're talking about this idea of belief, like, and not just, okay, we're checking the box. We know the answers to the test, but is the tithe, is, is 10% the recommended number, I guess, right? When people think about biblical generosity, if I hit 10%, is that, is that really what God expects of me? Where does that come from? I'm glad you asked us because it is, it's right here, you know, Malachi 310 is where it talks about it, but about the tithe, but there's a difference. I'd always thought that tithe and offerings were the same, but there's a true difference there. Like biblical generosity gets into both. And when we talk about tithing, we're talking about trusting God for this covenant that he's brought here before us in Malachi 310. And he talks about in the Abrahamic covenant. But when we look at tithe, it's just 10% going back to God. Now, the argument, is that gross or net? Are you going to be blessed with the gross or blessed with the net? It, God's real clear. Hey, hey, I'm looking for a cheerful giver. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever that portion is, make it cheerfully. If it starts off with the net of, hey, this is what I got after I paid the IRS and after, I, you know, my health insurance and whatnot, start there. But then... We'll see as that God opens up doors and impresses on your heart to build that. Soon it'll become the net. Soon it'll become the gross. Where we found is that God's put it on our heart for when to give more. And uh, Paul talks about that in the New Testament is, hey, set aside more for the, the brothers in Jerusalem and be prepared to do that. And he was talking to um, churches that had nothing. And they, but in their poverty, they were setting aside to be able to give more. And how much that, but and they were doing that eagerly because they understood this principle about sowing and reaping. Mm -hmm. So the offering that you make that's above the 10%, allow those to be like seed that you plant or create a seed journal for God, I'm blessing, I'm giving this because you've directed my heart. And I'm believing that with this, how it returns to me, because in the, um, it says, uh, and is it in Isaiah where it says, uh, my word goes out on the water and does not return to me void. You know, which scripture that is, it's that idea of sowing and reaping. So putting the seed in the ground and saying, I'm expecting Lord that at one point someday I'm praying for this in my life to happen according to your will and being purposeful and make a journal because what happens is 
maybe it's weeks, maybe it's months, maybe it's years later, you see those answers to prayer fulfilled, and then you're able to go ahead and write it down. And the important I love what part, you're saying there too, because like, I think a lot of times we for you know, like we forget the purpose of genera the per the end goal is not generosity, right? And I just was chatting with this with our mastermind this weekend. The purpose of generosity is to experience the gospel of grace, right? To experience God's presence in our lives. And yep. I love that general idea because the end goal is not just to give our money away. The end goal is that when we give of when we give freely it's a it's we get to experience the grace of god we get to experience the presence of god so i love that general idea because over the long run we can see the pattern of god's grace or god's hand the being present in our lives absolutely absolutely i'm curious nothing because you deal like you're in the lives of people you see their money beginning to end i want like Speak to this idea of learning. You talked about even giving when you don't like learning to be generous early on, how important that is. Like, have you seen, you know, this mindset of, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give or I'll be generous one day when we have enough, like when we're really wealthy, when we made a lot of money, why that mindset really, I mean, is, is it true that, that that's a good idea or have you found that people who wait to be generous typically are not later in life? I mean, I'm curious as your interaction with folks, uh, just that theory. Yeah, it, it, I can I can talk to you about that, but I think you nailed it on the head. It, it, I don't know if this is a theory. Just look at someone that's 20, 30 years advanced from you and ask that same question. Were they generous in life? And that typically reflects in their living. Right. Or, or, uh, or were they stingy in life? And that typically reflects in their health. Hmm. So, you know, what, when it's kind of like working out. Well, are you going to work out one day when you finally got enough time? Or are you going to work out along the way and start building it, building mm -hmm. those healthy practices for living healthy lifestyle, right? It gets, it gets into what are those daily, I, I don't like using the word discipline, but essentially what are those daily disciplines in your life that are you're making a priority? Because you know, we've got a podcast called Living a Richer Life by Design, and we named it that because the purpose is, how are you intentional with every area of your life? It's really easy in relationships to just kind of let it go and not be intentional. But what I found in marriage is that is one of the most crazy, incredibly op great opportunities to be intentional about marriage. And those that we've seen have long lasting fulfilled marriages have been intentional about it. Mm. I say it is true about your finances as well in your walk with Christ. I love that too. And it just goes back to the exact point we're making. Like, again, the point is not to one day to be able to give loads amount of money. Right. Even though, I mean, that might be a goal for some, the goal of biblical generosity or what Christ speaks about in scriptures is what we've been talking about today is this idea of, I want you to come and follow me, right? I want you to have a relationship with me and experience my grace along the way. And so I love that idea, man, of wherever you are to begin practicing the disciplines of what would it look like to stretch beyond what's comfortable so that I can put God to the test so that I can begin to experience the blessings and promises of God that he's already promised to me in Christ through his word. 
Um, I think that is a mind shift, man, that maybe you people need to go back, you know, another two minutes and listen to that again, like how important it is. We're not talking. The end goal is not one day I'm going to be able to give away a lot of money. The end goal is that, man, my heart will be so free from the cares and worries of this world, right? That all I need is Christ. And God will, God will put you to a place where he's stretching you on that at different levels. And I remember one, one story I'd like to share with you just real quick. Please. There was a, there was a time where we're just getting started in business and I didn't have enough money to make the next payroll. And I didn't have uh, I didn't know how we're going to take care of our own bills. Uh, We had money set aside for it, but if, when God pressed on my heart, Jonathan, give X amount to this ministry. I was like, God, I don't, that's like everything we have. He's like, do it. And remember in the scripture, it says, don't let your right hand know what the left hand is doing. That means act quickly. That doesn't mean Mm -hmm. try to be deceitful. It just says act quickly, make it happen. Don't give it a second thought. Don't try to second guess. I remember going into the closet and just weeping and just going and telling my wife that night, Babe, this is what we got to do. I don't know what's going to happen, but I just got to let you know this is what God told me to do. And we were obedient and uh, made that gift. And you know what happened? God provided for others to give or to be a blessing to us or things to close that paid us that end up more than satisfying all of our needs. And it just, it's amazing. There's, there'll be times where God's really wanting to be able to say like he did with um, Isaac and, uh, or I'm sorry, Abraham and Isaac uh, saying, hey, make this sacrifice. And because he's wanting to be able to know our heart and yet he provides a way out. Jonathan, right now at Lionsgate, man, what are some of the problems that you're helping clients uh, kind of face? Well, thanks for asking that question, Ellis. Uh, let me back up and share with you one other story real quick because I'll, and I'll wrap it into that answer. Yeah. Um, so we named it Lionsgate advisors because God had had me do a word study on gate and also um, the tribe of Judah. And so it led me to studying the different gates of uh, Jerusalem, how each tribe was responsible for a different gate. And then it turns out, the, the gate that Judah is responsible for, the tribe of Judah, was the north gate. And that north gate, uh, when Ezekiel talks about it, he says he, he had a vision. He looked through the north gate and into it and into the temple, and he saw an image called jealousy, right? He saw the image of jealousy. And the question I had was, Lord, why do you see an image of jealousy? And that was the gate that all the merchants had gone through. That's where they did all their business, coming in and out of that gate. And it was as you approach the temple uh, of God to worship. He said, because I'm jealous for your heart, regardless amount of wealth that you do or don't have, I'm jealous for your heart. And we named that, uh, we named our company Lionsgate Advisors based off that. And that, the name that we didn't know it, but the name of the gate is Lionsgate. Mm. And so it just turned out to be such a cool dynamic of why God's called us into business as ministry. So when you think about what we do for families, um, our, we've really focused on how do we create intergenerational wealth for families to accelerate the impact of their wealth. Impact can mean something different for everyone. Uh, where we found that our biggest is, uh, impact initially for most families is in the area of their taxes and working and quarterbacking key tax strategies 
to uh, convert tax liabilities into income producing assets by co collaboratively working with tax strategy firms and CPAs and their bookkeepers, as well as their businesses. And then we do, we manage money, right? And, uh, and then we also really look at insurance and other tax strategies that are outside of the box, but are within the IRS tax code. And we just found that when we are good stewards with what we have, we can accelerate the impact of families' wealth either by the legacy they leave for their children um, or by the legacy that they're making in their, their communities mm -hmm. or the charities that they give to. Um, I got a couple of fun questions for you, Jonathan, just because a lot of real estate investors on the show. I'm a real estate investor. Um, we like talking about real estate. So I'm, I just, let's, let's, let's get into this a little bit, just kind of what you're seeing. Um, and by the way, this is how we do on the Kingdom Capitalist show. We just kind of go back and forth on all the things that we're just, that, that are interesting as that come up, you know, where we are in market cycles, especially in the real estate cycle is seems that all things are pointing to we're at the peak, right? Like, and so I imagine most of your clients, a lot of mine are, you know, they have a lot of equity in their homes or in their real estate properties they're looking to sell. I'm curious, like what people are doing, some of your clients are doing with real estate, are they selling? And then what are you, what are they doing with that equity? Because the tough thing about a top of the cycle is you're selling at the top, but then where do you place it? Right. right? And so what, what do you see happening right now? A great question. And so it just depends on where someone's at in their own stage of wealth accumulation and whether or not they want to continue to roll it back into real estate. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have some real estate, we have a, a couple of clients are real estate investment companies or they own real estate investment companies and done quite well. And so for them, they've, they have exits that they're planned out for the next three to four years. And they had to look for how can I create a tax-free environment where after I've paid the, capital gains for recognizing that rather than rolling it back into real estate because I want to wait for the market to get to a bottom or look for those other great opportunities. Where can I put that, those funds um, by leveraging it with the banks to be able to create a tax-free um, inv investment? And so those are some of the strategies that we look at. So they've got that cash reserve that they can redeploy, but then essentially convert the relationship with the bank from being the, having to go to the bank to becoming the banker for themselves. Right. Right. That's but they're one. still having to pay the capital gains tax on those gains it's on that particular strategy. Mm -hmm. Others is taking a look at, a, I, I don't know if you're familiar with a DST with the Delaware statutory trust. Yes. Okay. So I, uh, maybe explain it because I don't think, I mean, everyone's going to be on the same page. So a Delaware statutory trust would allow for you to be able to sell your property. Okay. Roll it into a pool um, of other properties or well, a single one using a Delaware statutory trust, as long as you met the same type of um, debt to equity ratios, right? And so you can, if you're using a DST and you're working with large uh, firms, uh, I'll just throw a couple of large ones out there like Inland or others, uh, Cole being another one, you could be able to diversify your portfolio among numerous different properties that you didn't have direct management in if you were trying to get out of the management, but still wanted to have larger scale opportunities because of the discount that may be in the marketplace today. Right. Others may be where you're rolling it in directly into another private placement as a GP or LP, and you're taking that um, through a DST to be able to um, participate in an opportunity zone uh, or 
uh, into other real estate, both either commercial or residential. Um, the, the best, it creates a great environment outside of the traditional 1031 exchange uh, because it gives you that opportunity for um, engaging in multiple properties or single properties uh, in a number of ways while deferring that tax, that capital gain. Hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Real quick. Oh, no, nah, we, we won't get into that. I, I want to end with this and just get your thoughts because, you know, I do think we're in an environment and a lot of people listening to the show are probably thinking, what do they do with their equity? What, like, you know, there are a lot of changes happening, a lot of speculations happening. The importance of just asking the question, like, what's the purpose of my money, right? Or what, what do I actually want my money to do? I mean, how do you help clients really think about, um, yeah, what decisions do we need to make in this current environment not just in the sense of like, oh, I mean, you know, there's this idea of like, I need to make the best decision, to make the most money. Is that is that always the 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 question? What makes the most money as you speak with advisors? I mean, as you speak with clients, or what is the the important question that people should be asking, kind of in this environment as they think about maybe wealth strategies or wealth, you know, the actions they're going to take in regards to the the wealth they've built over the past decade. Well, one is how quickly can you get your initial capital back out. Right. So if you're going to be making an investment, how long is it before I can take that initial capital back out that I um, dedicated towards that investment? That'd be the first thing. The second would be, am I using this particular asset for um, just to be able to, for revenue, for income purposes, regardless of what the market fluctuation is? It'd be kind of akin to having an apartment complex with a thousand tenants. You know, if I've got that apartment complex and I've got occupancy at 100%, and everyone's making their bill, paying their rent on time. It doesn't matter to me if the real estate property went up 50% or down 50%, unless I intend to sell it, I would want it to sell it when it's high because I'm looking at it from a, from a revenue standpoint. But if I'm looking at um, what's a good investment, right, for long-term, it depends on what your time horizons are. Mm -hmm. Not always do you have to make, uh, are you looking at just how can I make the most money on the sell? Oftentimes, you can buy in a great undervalued um, purchase, sell it at a reasonable profit for yourself, and get out while there's still enough meat on the bone, if you will, for, someone, for it to be attractive to someone else so you can always have an exit. So when you factor those things in, those, I think there's a couple different ways you look at any type of investment, and it's the same mentality, it's the same th philosophy, unless you're just aiming for the home runs and you're like looking for shiny pennies. And um, that's where you have to start working with someone that has expertise and specialty to be able to do that um, due diligence because there can be so much volatility in it. You could lose it all or, or you could make thousand percent returns. And so we do operate uh, more of a, uh, a non-traditional hedge fund from the standpoint of uh, using leverage, understanding um, inverse and long, being long the markets in our markets. But then we also incorporate that with other uh, real estate opportunities and, and, and other crowdfunding sources for those opportunities as well. And so when you're working with the wealth management team, you want to have someone that can think outside the box that's challenging the status quo. And um, we had to start doing that first with taxes, right? Because we've got clients that are having capital gains tax where they forgot about, hey, I've got a 20% capital gains tax on this, but they forgot about the additional 3.6, 3.8% Obamacare tax on top of that. Mm. And so 
they've got to factor that in. As long as those taxes, if we can get those taxes over 120,000 a year or 120,000, then we can be able to purchase tax credits almost at a dollar for dollar or a leverage deduction that allows them to offset that. And then at that point, they start harvesting more of their capital gains. So you've really got to pair it with a tax strategy for when you're recognizing profits. Otherwise you get robbed out the back door. Um, I use robbed loosely, but it's going <laughs> yeah, to yeah. maybe your favorite uncle, but a lot of right. us have other charitable intent. Right. Which they give like, and that's why, I mean, having you in, you know, as part of your wealth building team is a huge asset or, you know, to, you know, use the tax law as it was meant to be used. Unfortunately, the, you, we created a law that no man without eight years of education can ever understand, but that's a different story, right? So <laughs> well, ju ju Judge Leonard Hand said it best. He said, there's, there's uh, two different types of tax code in the world today. Um, and really it's all the same, but one is for, and I'm paraphrasing here, says one is for the informed and that is for the uninformed. And uh, it, each man should be informed as much as possible uh, because whether it serves them uh, being liberal or conservative, uh, rich or poor, it, each man does it to be able to save as much as he can taxes. Mm -hmm. And so in doing so is each person's right. Mm. Jonathan, I, I love this conversation, man. I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing there in St. Louis and um, just uh, the way you're serving your clients and helping them think, uh, you know, about a deeper and greater way to steward the wealth that uh, God's, God's entrusted to them. Who, who are you serving? I guess if someone's listening to this and they've enjoyed this conversation as well, kind of who is your target client um, and how can people reach out to you? Uh, thank you. So you can visit us at our website at lionsgateadvisors.com. Uh, and that's the best way to be able to reach us, uh, of course, to be able to uh, visit our website or be able to go ahead and visit our podcast, Living a Richer Life by Design. Um, when we think of the clientele that we serve, we've really focused, unfortunately, because of lack of time, we've had to be able to be more specific to the um, affluent and higher net worth families and also serving high income earners. Uh, professional athletes and professional advisors and family offices, as well as business owners that are experiencing uh, at least 300,000 a year in, in taxes, right? So you've kind of got this realm of guys that are making 500 grand or more a year. And that's really where we start to experience who we can be able to create the best tax strategies for. Uh, but as God's called us into ministry, um, if someone's got a hundred grand and they're like, Jonathan, I just need help getting this managed and invested. Then we, then we can absolutely do that. Right. So we don't limit it to that. Uh, but we've really found that the most of our families that we serve are um, affluent, uh, have, have accumulated wealth that need more of those tax strategies in place or their high income earners from that standpoint. All over the country. All over. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, look, man, I'm so excited to, to continue to get to know you and uh, potentially work together on some things in the future. So uh, thanks for your time today, man. And uh, Lionsgate Advisors, everyone, Jonathan Kruger, make sure you reach out to him. Check out his podcast show. The name of your podcast show is what one more time? Living a Richer Life by Design. Yeah, he actually has a, a much uh, where he gets in some of these scriptures on this topic as well. So check that out. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, definitely screenshot this. Be sure to comment, tag us on social media so we can be interacting with you. So, so grateful for your support. We are... Uh, 
we are almost at the 15,000 download mark. And that is a result of people just constantly showing up, posting, leaving reviews, want to continue to get this message out. So if you would, we'd love your participation audience and just sharing this show and, uh, and helping us do that. Appreciate your time. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this show today. If you want to learn more about our community, you're going to want to visit us at kingdomcapitalist.co. There you can find info on our private mastermind and even subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on new shows. And last but not least, land opportunities to get private trainings and coaching calls with the guest of this show. If you're enjoying this show, please take a minute to leave us a five-star review and also share this with a friend. We'll see you next time.